All right, I'm going to give you just a minute or two to find our text tonight. It's one of those books of the Bible that sometimes people have a hard time finding. The book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 10. Now, some of you that are around here a long time, you know, ah, it's not a problem for me. I know how to find that. Okay, good. So let's uh, look at the announcements. Uh, this coming Thursday night, there's a parent-teacher fellowship at 7 p.m., uh, this coming Saturday, there's a training time going through the Exchange Gospel booklet. Starts at 9, and if we need to, we'll go till noon. Um, but if you're fast and quick learners, we can go shorter. All right? But uh, we want to make sure that we answer your questions so you know how to share the gospel uh, with your friends, family, and coworkers. All right, Men's Retreat at Wolf Mountain coming up in March. Please make sure that you sign up on their website. There is information on the bulletin board that will give you the date and the cost and so forth. All right, so we're going to continue in our series, 12 Ways to Help the Church Thrive. I think this is the third uh, message of the 12. And so tonight, the uh, proposition is this, don't let things slip. And um, I don't know, maybe this will become the don't let the things slip sermon, all right? Because you'll keep seeing that one particular slide as we go throughout the, uh, the series tonight. All right, and so in Nehemiah chapter 10... Uh, we're going to be taking most of our time in that particular chapter tonight, but I want to start out by giving you a couple of other verses uh, that go along uh, with this message. The, uh, the background story that goes with Nehemiah chapter 10 is the history of the nation of Israel. Now, when we say Israel, we have to be careful because there was a point when the nation was divided that the 10 northern tribes, now Israel was 12 tribes, but the 10 northern tribes separated themselves from the two southern tribes. The two southern tribes were called Judah, and the 10 northern tribes called themselves Israel. And then God sent the Assyrian kingdom to conquer the 10 northern tribes in about the 7th century before Christ and carried uh, most of those people away. And then the pagan king uh, resettled Israel uh, with different nationality and ethnic groups from all over his kingdom. And so when you come into the New Testament, uh, you end up with the story of Jesus meeting the woman at the well, or the Samaritan woman. And there's actually a different form of religious worship that the Samaritans have. Uh, then the two uh, tribes that became the nation of Judah, they lasted for probably another 100, close to 200 years. And then in 586 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came and destroyed uh, the two southern tribes, destroyed their capital city, Jerusalem. They were carried away into captivity under Babylon. And then... Uh, Babylon itself uh, loses world supremacy to the Persian Empire. And Persia allows the displaced peoples in the Babylonian Empire to return to their homelands. And as the Jews come back to their homeland, everything's in ruins, literally. The, the cities have been knocked down, the houses have been knocked down, uh, Jerusalem has been knocked down, the temple was knocked down. And so God uses different men, such as Ezra, uh, Nehemiah, and Haggai, 
uh, to challenge the people to not let things slip the way they were before they went into captivity, that they needed to commit themselves to a true worship and to a, a loyalty to the Lord. And so um, you would call this really a time of revival. Ezra is described as a man who would take the Old Testament and he would teach it to the people one verse at a time, explaining and giving the meaning of the text. And through the word of God, then the people began to understand how far they have drifted, how much they had let things slip. And so when we come into Nehemiah chapter 10, we're going to see six things that God tells the nation that they need to do to no longer be a sliding or a backsliding nation, where they need to step it up and to make a resolve and to commit themselves to the Lord in these six areas. And it really all begins with their interaction with the reading and the teaching of the Word of God. Now, in the New Testament, we are also exhorted to be paying attention. I'm just going to read to you a few verses, and then you'll see where the slide, uh, don't let things slip, where that comes from. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verse 6 says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So let's not fall asleep on the job. All right. Um, let's keep awake and let's encourage one another tonight to serve the Lord. And so, in a certain sense, I might be preaching the message to the most devoted people in the church. And so, you can help me then relay the message to the body of Christ and just encourage one another to remain diligent in what we're doing for the Lord. Let's not fall asleep on the job. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, it says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest. And arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Do we live in evil days? I think we do. All right? I don't think that you have to let your imagination go too far to understand what I'm talking about. But don't let things slip. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. So how can we keep things where they need to be? How do we keep things from slipping? Well, <clears throat> we have uh, six ways, and we're just going to go through these tonight from the book of Nehemiah chapter 10. Um, let's just pick it up in verse 30 if you're in Nehemiah chapter 10, and it says... Um, that they resolved that they would not give our daughters unto the people of land, nor take their daughters for our sons. And so you can help your church thrive by paying close attention to the family. Okay? By paying close attention to the family. So 
wisely, uh, these people begin by looking at the home. The home is the basic unit of society. This is where everything starts, is in the home. The home is the first institution that God created in all of human existence. When he made Adam and Eve in a marriage covenant and blessed them, that was the first home that God created. And so they begin here. Now, um, when it talks about that they're not going to give their daughters unto the people of the land nor take their daughters for their sons, they're not saying we're racist. Right? That's not what this is about. Uh, what they're actually saying is we will not allow for the intermarriage of our children with those who worship pagan gods. And this was uh, the downfall of Israel before captivity was their hearts drifted away from the Lord and they married spouses who were literal idolaters and worshipped other gods. And Israel had a problem with this throughout their history. Uh, one of our greatest Bible stories, Samson and Delilah. But she was a Gentile believer who worshipped uh, Dagon, the, the fish god of the Philistines. And Nehemiah, when he had to deal with this situation, when he came from uh, Persia back to Jerusalem, what did he find? He found Jewish families intermixing with pagan people who did not believe in their God. And so this was the primary problem. So their concern was not racial, but religious. And so according to Exodus 34, chapter 34, verses 12 through 16, uh, God strictly forbid the Israelites from giving their children in marriage to pagan peoples who did not worship them. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you would understand that there are many Gentile believers in God who came into the nation of Israel. Uh, Moses had an Ethiopian wife. Uh, Rahab the harlot uh, came into the nation of Israel. But the difference here is they were believers in the Jewish God. Um, even King David's uh, grandmother, Ruth, uh, was a Moabitess, and she came into the nation of Israel. Uh, and so it's not the, the, the racial or the ethnic issue. That's not the problem. It is that they were letting their hearts slip in their marriages. If you read anything about marriages, one of the major problems is what they call interfaith marriages, where people of different faiths get married, and it puts a real strain on the family because really, deep down, they don't believe the same things. And so this is why Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, gives instructions to a widow that if she's going to remarry, she's free to do so with one stipulation, that she marries in the Lord, that you find a Christian. Now, I remember several years ago, um, one of the uh, believers who attended the addiction recovery program um, was asking questions about finding a good mate. And I said, well, are they a Christian? Oh, yes, they're a Christian. I said, okay, good. Now, do they actively go to church every Sunday? I'm not 
I don't know. I said, okay. Have they encouraged you since you've been in communication about your walk with the Lord? Mm, Well, maybe not. Okay. Well, what kind of ministry, what kind of service are they doing in their local church? I don't know. I I haven't really heard anything about that. It sounds like you need to do some more investigation. And just because somebody says they're a Christian doesn't mean that they're the ideal person to pursue a relationship with. And so we need to pay close attention to our family unit. And so Christians must defend the family. Now, there are many contemporary attempts to tear down family. And you've seen that within our own culture here in the state of California. You've seen how then that was applied at the national level. And today, uh, family is just pretty much defined as any two people living under the same roof that are just somewhat like one another, okay? That's not family according to the way that God defines it. Now, I'm not saying this because I am a racist. I'm saying this because we need to understand the contemporary application um, BLM, Black Lives Matter. Yes, they do. All right? There are brothers and sisters in the Lord, those who know Jesus Christ. And even if they're not, their life still has value because every person is made in the image of God. But I'm talking about the political arm. And if you go on their website, and it's been all over the news that during the month of February, they're calling for the, the tearing down and the replacing of the traditional nuclear family. That is their written, stated purpose and agenda. And so the apostle um, knows that the devil will attack family. And so we need to keep our marriages strong. We need to have the same beliefs and the same values. We must do it for the good of our country and for the good of the church. And so... You know, many times, communist and revolutionary governments have been so anxious to weaken or to destroy the family, setting children against parents, and sometimes physically separating children, husbands and wives. They know that the family unit is a strong unit, and if they can pull that down, then they'll have greater success in building a correspondingly strong dedication to the state. And I think that's exactly what's going on in our culture today because the family unit is in shambles in our country. And so we must call ourselves to understanding here the importance of the family by paying close attention. And so as Hebrews chapter uh, 2 verse 1 tells us, uh, let us pay close attention to the things that we've heard. Don't let them slip. The church is probably the last place in society that you will hear teaching on the family. And so let's be strong as the church and proclaim what family should be. Secondly, um, we'll go down to verse 31, but let's not let things slip. But verse 31, uh, help your church thrive by paying close attention to Um, the day of worship. Verse 31. And if the people of the land bring any ware or any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, 
that we would not buy of them on the Sabbath day or the holy day. And so the second specific commitment of the people of this great uh, revival time was their covenant to keep the Sabbath day, to abstain from all commercial activity and to observe the, the Sabbath. And this was the requirement that God had set down in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Well, let's, let's be honest. We're going to have a couple of times in the message tonight where we have an Old Testament text that deals specifically with the Jewish people and God calling them to a commitment and loyalty to the covenant. Well, we're not Jewish, and we didn't make that covenant. But is there anything in this text that is for us? Well, I would say yes. There's an active principle is that we need to set one day of seven aside to worship the Lord. And so the early New Testament church, they met on the first day of the week. And you can find that phrase, the first day, the first day. Such as in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, when you come together on the first day of the week, let each of you lay aside. On the first day of the week, as it became dawn, the women came to the sepulcher, but Jesus was not there. And so why do we, as Bible-believing Christians, why do we worship on Sunday and not the Sabbath? By the way, Sabbath is not Saturday. Sabbath is sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday. All right? And so we'll, we'll, we'll explain some more about that. But this is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 10, that we have been delivered from the keeping of, quote, special days and months and seasons and years. Uh, as Gentile believing Christians, we're not under the Old Testament Jewish law, but we can still learn from the principles that God was telling them. The next major commitment that you have to make to have a stable society, to have a strong church, is that when it's Sunday, you're in God's house. You're not at the lake, you're not out on the boat, you're not out on the mountains, you're not at... The, the sports games, you're, you're not out shopping, uh, you're not sleeping in, all right? And now you can sleep in if you're sick, all right? But you're, when God's house is open, you teach that it's a priority to be there. I can remember growing up, uh, during the summer, I mowed lawns with my coach, and I, I liked earning that money that I began to have a few of my own accounts. And I was tempted to do them on Sunday, and my dad said, no, Sunday is the Lord's day, not your day to make money. And with that influence, I believe I'm standing here tonight because of that spiritual guidance that my father gave to me. And so we set aside the, the, the day to worship the Lord. And so this is why Hebrews chapter 10, the believers are exhorted, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Stop doing this. And so like I said, tonight, uh, most likely, I am sharing a message with people who have already made that commitment. Praise God. Now let's encourage and provoke and encourage one another to love and to good works. Let's encourage faithful attendance in the Lord's house.
And so if you want to go on the Christian life, determined to come to church more than just once a week, witness to your friends, ask your pastor for something to do, and get busy serving Jesus. But pay close attention to the day of worship. All right, so don't let that slip. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says that some Christians let that slip. Let's not be that kind of Christian. All right, here's our next point. Uh, This comes to us from verses 32 and 33 of Nehemiah chapter 10. Now notice the obligation. This goes beyond the duty of the law to the willing heart. Watch this resolve. Verse 32, we also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of the shekel for the service of the house of our God. Verse 33, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. All right. So what were they doing? Well, they were paying close attention here to the meeting house. So they had a central place of worship. So Haggai, the book of Haggai, is written because the people had been back in the land of of Israel for 10 years, for a decade. And the first thing they did was they built an altar on the ruins of where the temple had been. And they laid a foundation course, and then it stopped for 10 years. They didn't pick up another stone. They didn't lay another course on the foundation. And God comes to them, and he, he tells them, these people say it is not time to build the house of God. God says, arise and build. You have built your homes. You live in, the King James uses the word, sealed houses, all right? Not as an S-E-A-L, all right, E-D, but as in sealing, sealed houses. Um, What was that word that Brother Milton said today? I think he was trying to say Kleenex, but it sounded like clinics, okay? And uh, that's that North Carolina thing getting through to us. But uh, they were living in houses that were paneled in cedar. In other words, they had set up their economy and they had taken care of their own homes as a priority before taking care of God's home, the, the meeting house. And I believe that they are also forsaking the gathering together. Because, I mean, after all, who wants to go out on a cold, wintry day and stand in a place of ruins? And if our building burned down and all we had was the shell, all right, Maybe these main beams here uh, could stand up, but everything else crumbled. I mean, would we be too inclined to come here on a cold, wintry day and stand here for an hour and a half? I might question that. Now, you ask some of the Russian believers from a generation or two ago, and they'd say, ah, no problem, all right? Um, yeah, well, they would, they would worship the Lord in sub-zero temperatures. But the meeting location was an important problem. So once again, we we have a a problem here in relating the temple uh, support to ourselves. But notice here the principle was this. They obligated themselves. This was beyond the law. 
they're going to say, look, God's house needs certain things. We're going to provide for it. And so there were lots of things that they were doing here, okay? They were going to bring in grain for the bread. They were going to bring in the, the food for the feasts. They were going to bring in the animals for the offerings. They were going to clear their calendars for the time that they were supposed to be worshiping the Lord on special occasions that God had marked for them to observe throughout the year. And they understood that the work of the house of our God was very important. But so many people today in our culture don't produce, they participate, but not produce. They like to receive a product instead of becoming a producer. In other words, they like to receive but not give. And so one of the blessings of being in a medium to a smaller size ministry is there's lots of opportunity to always become someone who can produce, that can serve for the Lord and do things, provide things for the house. And so I think that they were concerned to provide wood and other necessary plies for the temple. Uh, They had a priority for that central location to get this up. And so the Lord came to them uh, through the prophet Haggai and said, get my house built. In Haggai chapter 1, verse 5, he says, now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. And so he says this at the end of the chapter, because of my house that lies in ruins, why each of you busies himself with his own house. And so pay attention to the meeting house. Now, how can you do that around here? All right. Practical things. Um, We can change light bulbs. All right, so the lights are out behind me. There's a light out in the foyer. Um, sometimes we see things, paper on the ground, we can pick it up. We see things that are broken. We can say, hey, I would like to fix that. I've got the ability to do this. Can I replace that? Hey, pastor, can the meeting house, can we use this there? And some of you do that kind of thing. And I'm very glad that you do. Some of you have given sacrificially, like I said at the beginning. Uh, Some of you are already doing that. And so... Good. Be an encourager of that. Um, You know, it's interesting when people are new to your church, what they observe, what they notice. And um, so I'll be honest with you. When I came to Candidate, I walked around with my cell phone. And I took about 100 pictures. And I've gone about working on those things through the years. And uh, some of you have gotten behind that, and we've been able together to do many of these projects. Uh, The posts out here on the covered sidewalk, those have been replaced. Um, The siding on the modular restroom building, that has been done. The drip edge has been done. The painting of the building, the exterior. All of these things we've done together. But it reflects the glory of God 
and it shows our priorities and our dedication to the glory of God by the way that we look at his house. And we looked at one of the signs of revival under the, the boy King Josiah was that he made repairs to God's house. And so when we put up a building, um, unfortunately, it begins to deteriorate right away. <laughs> That's just how things work. And uh, it's kind of like our bodies, right? Um, the older we get, the faster they go downhill. And so it just takes maintenance. And so be involved in those kind of things. If you see something, say something, all right? And if you have the ability to do it, then go ahead and do it and take care of those kind of things. And so uh, many years ago, uh, there was an individual, her name was Rosetta, and Rosetta had a special gift of being able to paint wall murals for Vacation Bible School. And so we, we had an auditorium that was about 50 feet deep, so a little bit shallower than this room. And uh, we would put up these big rolls of white paper. We would uh, pin them to the wall. And so then she would paint the theme on that white paper with uh, watercolor paints. And that was her gift to the Lord. She would paint that, that wall mural, the theme of the Vacation Bible School. And then the other ladies would uh, work with her. They would get their husbands involved. I mean, one year it was, you know, uh, kind of a, a mountain theme. And I mean, these guys were carrying in boulders that we probably should have used a dump truck with, right? Uh, one year it was a, a, a ladybug theme. and Oh boy, was that a disaster. Uh, we set up a, a, a little... Uh, tent outside that had the, the screens around the side of it and we had all kinds of bushes in there and they bought like a thousand ladybugs and they let them loose in there and the kids went in there and they were just having a great time well the kids came out with the ladybugs all over their clothes and they came into the church building and we had ladybugs everywhere I mean it was just so much fun alright but the, the people really gave their time to make sure that uh, things were well done, and they participated in those kind of things. All right, here's uh, the next point. All right, uh, verses 34 and 35. So let's not let things slip. Here we go. Help your church thrive by paying close attention to the additional provisions for the meeting house. And so look at verse 35. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of every fruit tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Uh, verse six, the people of Jerusalem seem not to have been, um, oh, I'm sorry, that's not verse six, that's footnote six. But the people of Jerusalem, yeah, you wonder about my translation, don't you? <laughs> but the people of Jerusalem seemed not to have been um, concerned merely with paying just their dues. They recognized the temple service required other things that they could also provide and so they went out and they cut firewood. They brought in the crops and, and the fruits from those things. Uh, I know that there are many of us who bring in uh, produce from our trees, all right? Mainly because we have an abundance of it and we don't want them to rot in our own backyard. But you know what? That's fun. And that's a way to dedicate your plants that grow in your yard to the glory of the Lord and share with the body of Christ the bounty that God has given you and so they promised to supply the things that Christian ministry needed. And so that we, there are things that we can give to Christian work aside from money. And so there's donations of all kinds of things, like Brother Milton was sharing today. 
Um, I was a little disappointed. Uh, he did not share Operation Joseph. Operation Joseph is the Operation Renewed Hope has a little letter that they stick into a, a plastic grocery bag that they leave on the doorknob, and uh, they go around a, a certain radius from the church, leave that note in there that they'll be coming back one week from the day that the people found the bag hanging on their doorknob, explaining that they're collecting canned food for disaster relief purposes. And um, so then they put things in there about their church and their school, and the the reaction from the community towards Operation Joseph, and it's called Operation Joseph because uh, God told Joseph that famine was going to be coming to the land of Egypt in seven years, but before that famine came, there would be seven years of plenty, so save up now, and when the disaster happens, you'll have the food for later. And so the idea is to collect the supplies now so that when disaster happens, then they can meet those needs. And so with the tornadoes that just hit, uh, what was that, November, December in Kentucky, uh, they were able from their warehouse to drive truckloads of water bottles and food over to the areas in Kentucky and partner with local churches and give those emergency relief, relief supplies out. And um, so I th- had been talking to uh, Brother Milton, and I think they're looking for five churches in California that will partner together to do Operation Joseph and have things in reserve um, and so that they can be a time, uh, in a time of need, they can come and help us. And so if that's something that you would be interested in, I'll let you take that up. But these people obligated themselves to go above and beyond. And so the time and the talents that you saw today, the people giving their medical expertise, the, the medical doctors, the nurses, the dentists, and then just the non-medical people that need to be there to do the grunt work of these mission uh, trips so that the medical professionals are freed up to do the medical work. Um, he did not tell you, but one of the little children, they were in a village, um, was dying when the child was brought into the clinic. And they were able to get that child to come to the United States. There was a major university. I, I'm not going to promise the name. I might get that wrong, so I'm not going to say it. But that child was flown up in, I believe, in the New England area to that university and had a life-saving heart procedure done. And um, so because of that medical missions clinic that went down there. So there are many wonderful things that you can do and going above and beyond. And so don't let that kind of thing slip. Uh, this is a day and age where uh, a lot of things, Matt, I think I'm frozen here, where, yes, there's a lot of people asking for your money. There's a lot of people uh, wanting your time and your talents. But your local church should be that place where you go first so the glory of God uh, can be preeminent in your culture and your society. All right, still stuck here, and um, we'll keep going. Go down to verse 36. Here's the fifth thing. Help your church thrive by paying close attention to the dedication of the firstborn. Now, this is one of those things where, once again, it's an Old Testament law, um, and we don't necessarily relate to it, but there is a principle. So look at verse 36. Also, to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister Uh, to the house of God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks. All right. Well, can you think of a mother 
in the Old Testament who said, God, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you all the days of his life. Do you remember her name? Hannah. Do you remember his name? Samuel. And his name means asked of the Lord. And so it was her firstborn son. And he was dedicated to the Lord. Now, I'm not the firstborn child in my family by any means. I'm not even the firstborn son. But I do know that my parents gave me to the Lord. Uh, They have given each one of their children to the Lord. God, use our children any way that you see fit. And so I know that uh, my older sister uh, was a missionary in Spain for 26 years. Uh, They've been back in the States now for maybe seven or eight years. They were uh, in a small country church in Illinois, then uh, a a rescue uh, mission uh, ministry, and now they're in Tennessee. Uh, They've just taken over a ministry there, and it's uh, Dave and Claudia Barber's home church in uh, Fairfield Glades. And so my sister is in full-time ministry. My brother is a deacon. Uh, My other sister uh, faithfully serves the Lord by taking care of my dad. She goes over to the home every single day to check on him, to make sure that physically he's okay, doctor's appointments, takes the trips, and uh, make sure that he has things to eat and all those wonderful family times, but just taking care of that and honoring the Lord by honoring him. And of course, you know me. All right. But that was because my parents took the time to dedicate their family to the Lord. And this kind of goes back to the first point, doesn't it? Uh, taking care of our family. Um, but this really shows us the, the loyalty uh, when we dedicate ourselves to the Lord that our lives belong to God. Well, first of all, He, he made us, right? Um, but then by new birth, Paul told the Corinthian believers, what, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have of God, uh, which is in you? For you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Isn't it the great American principle to say, I can do what I want to do, it's my body, right? Isn't that what we say to, well, no, it belongs to the Lord. And this is why Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says in Galatians 2, 20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ liveth in me. And so when we become Christians, there's a new purpose for existence. There's a new use for our bodies. There's a new use for our time our treasures, our talents, our mind, our thoughts. And so let's pay attention to the dedication of our lives to the Lord. Um, Jesus said that we need to work now because the time comes when our work is done. And so your time to have eternal treasures in heaven, as Jesus exhorted the disciples, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where thieves and moth and rust uh, doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. Uh, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Um, Do you know the rewards that are mentioned in the Bible? The five different crowns, the soul winner's crown, the shepherd's crown, and and so forth. Uh, These are things that we can earn and have eternal blessings 
because we get busy for serving God now. All right, so don't let things slip. Number six in our last point here tonight. Here we go. Help your church thrive by paying close attention to your giving. All right. Verse uh, 37 through 39, Nehemiah chapter 10. Verse 37. And to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the first of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priest, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all your towns where we labor. Verse 38. And the priests, the sons of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe out of the tithes to the house of our God and to the chambers of the storehouse. 39. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, and as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. Now notice the last phrase. We will not neglect the house of our God. So they made provisions. I would like to inculcate in our hearts and in the culture of Calvary Baptist Church to be known in in the Lord's sight as a ministry that goes above and beyond just tithing and that looks at giving as a way to grow in grace. And if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I've taught a series on those two chapters entitled Grace Giving. The people first gave themselves to the Lord, then they gave themselves uh, to Paul and and the other believers. Um, But they gave to support the work of the Lord. And what comes in above and beyond our needs then goes and reaches the world. And so your missionary board in the foyer on the wall, uh, the 15 different missionaries that, that are represented there, that's our going above and beyond. Let, let's be committed to missions. And, uh, you know, these people are reaching souls for Jesus Christ. You look on that wall and you'll see Dr. P.D. Charian. Uh, literally, right now, reaching thousands of Southeast Asians and Indian uh, believers and teaching them every single day in Bible college and Christian parochial school, and they even have an orphanage. And our above and beyond grace giving impacts the lives of these college students and uh, grade school and high school students and the orphans. And uh, we can make a great impact uh, throughout the world. Um, you look at uh, the Reddicks and Michelle Demaret, um, and you see how God is using them to reach hundreds of students every year in the classroom. Uh, they're part of Global Impact Ministries, and they go to the Philippines every year. And they win thousands of young people in high schools and in grade schools to Jesus Christ every year. In the Philippines, the schools want Christians to come in and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They love the Bible in the schools. But you know you can do that here in America too? Called Good News Clubs. And I've been part of that where we took a team into our public schools 
and we reach boys and girls with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it can be done here. And so they were bringing their contributions. They were paying close attention uh, to their giving. And so you see the chambers of the house of God. These were the storehouse chambers underneath the, the ground floor of the temple. And these were huge storage rooms. Uh, you think of the fires that continually burned. And they had to have firewood. You think of the uh, candlestick that burned inside the temple building. It required olive oil. And so the people pressed their olives and brought in their oil and gave it to God. And so there were, what, vats or barrels of olive oil to continuously fill the lanterns to keep the, the temple lights on, so to speak. Um, think of the sacrifices that were required every day and people brought the animals. You think of the clothing of the priests that God specifically laid out. The people brought the materials for the garments of the priests. Um, the people in the, the tabernacle day, and even in, in David's day, they gave their contributions of silver and gold to beautify the house of God. <laughs> Should I? Oh, why not? If you don't know, it's a positive development. In the county chambers, the national motto, which is, in God we trust, was put on the wall of the dais in big letters, but not super ostentatious, as some people are claiming. And the resolution from the previous Board of Supervisors was that the national motto should be displayed in a prominent manner. And it has been displayed in a prominent manner. And some people are very upset about it. Um, but I'm not. All right? I think it's appropriate. And there was not taxpayer money used on that. The regulation was that if it's going to be displayed, it has to be people in the community that donate to provide that. Well, people in the community donated and provided for that. And um, so all of these things. Where, where am I going with that application? Well, um, we need to, as a society, get back to the point where, yeah, we want to honor God. Now, I know that we don't live in a society where people want to do that anymore. But, you know, one of the, the things that was said was, well, it's so ostentatious, it's gold, you know, and it shouldn't be. The, doesn't the Bible say something about that? It's like, not doing that? And I'm like thinking to myself, well, do you know how lavishly God furnished his own tabernacle and his own temple? I think he would kind of laugh at what we call ostentatious. <laughs> All right? There's nothing wrong with uh, a building that reflects the glory of God. And uh, things need to be updated from time to time. Things need to be changed from time to time. Um, and so, yes, we, we need to, to keep things fresh and to keep those. And so the people supplied all of these things. And they made the resolve here, we shall not neglect the house of our God uh, through their generous giving. So have you learned to give uh, to the Lord? And so, what's the principle today? Well, I think it's higher than the requirement of the tithe. Um, it's not just 10%, uh, 
but God wants us to give all that we can give. And so all we are and all we have is from the Lord's uh, blessing upon us. So the question is not how much are we required to give, but rather how much can we give? And we can give a lot more than just a tithe. And so I encourage you, um, make these changes in the way that you structure uh, your finances and learn to give to the Lord. And um, the Lord says, try me and see if I won't open the blessings and the windows of heaven and pour a blessing upon you. So I'm not saying that's the reason why you give, okay? Because the prosperity gospel says this, all right? God exists to make you rich, all right? And so if you'll send me and my television ministry a $500 check, then I'll pray over a prayer hanky and mail it to your house. And anytime you get snick, snick, sick, you just sneeze into it and you'll be healed, all right? Well, no, that's not exactly what God is after, right? We don't give just to get, all right? Um, if we do receive a blessing, then it's the Lord just honoring his word. And we give whether we receive a blessing in this lifetime or not. Maybe the rewards that we'll receive, they happen when we get to heaven. And the Lord will reward us then. So, I suggest that you and your family formally covenant to put God first in everything you do. Order your marriage and your family according to the Bible standards. Make sure you're setting aside one day of the week, which is Sunday, to worship and serve God in the company of other Christians. Uh, give of your income for the Lord's work and do whatever else God puts upon your heart where you will obligate yourself, where it's your own willing heart wanting to go above and beyond. And so let's not let that kind of thinking slip in our church tonight and let's resolve to pay attention to the things that we've heard and resolve to do that and that will help our church thrive.